Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of the Firetime Podcast. And guys, this is it. We are locked and loaded for the second season of this. And I, I can't believe it. I am honestly just so thankful for the support of everybody out there. You know, when I got the idea for the podcast about a year ago, I never imagined that it would turn into this. I recently got back from the HPB Expo in Dallas, Texas, and man, people were stopping me all over the place talking about the podcast and the guests that we've had, and it just means the world to know that the content in this podcast is helping you guys move the needle in your businesses. Now, this season, we are going to be going back to the basics. One thing that has really hit me hard as I've had the last few months off to get ready for this season is just the reality that because the economy has been good for the last few years, there's a lot of businesses that are kind of in coast mode where they're just coasting along and things have been pretty good for them and they're not looking under the hood. They're just assuming that everything will continue the same way it's been. And honestly, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it's amazing that we've had this great economy, but at some point, Things are going to slip, and when that happens, we got to make sure that we have the right systems, processes, and disciplines in place so that we can continue to win when we don't have the wind in our sails from the economy. So in season two, we're going to be going all in on the basics of selling. I'm, I'm going to be talking to people from inside and outside of our industry that just have amazing wisdom, and we're going to cover everything from sales tactics to marketing, leadership, personal productivity, and team management. So So the hope is that by the end of this season, you and the team members that you have listened to this will have some tactics and steps that you can put into play so that you guys can win and continue to advance your careers and your businesses. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping here. Last week in Dallas, Texas, I taught a course at the HPB Expo that was called Make It Easy, How to Sell More by Eliminating Customer Confusion. And I'm amazed. There was just a huge response there. I'm really thankful for that. But for anybody that missed it, I'm actually going to be giving this same presentation in Denver, Colorado on Friday, April 26th. And that's for the Rocky Mountain Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association. So if you missed it in Dallas, Texas this last week, if you live in the Colorado uh, Rocky Mountain area, you can go to the website rmhpba.org. That's rmhpba.org. And you can register to hear that same course that I presented in Dallas, Texas last week. Now, like I said, I just got back from the HPB Expo in Dallas, Texas. And oh my gosh, it was an amazing show this year. Now, Honestly, the attendance was pretty poor. It was it was not nearly as much as it was last year in Nashville. But for me personally, it was one of the most productive shows I've ever been to. I mean, it was just amazing to be able to connect with so many businesses, so many business leaders and companies that just are, are making amazing products and doing great things. So I got a ton of value out of it. And what I was just blown away at, one of the nights, our regional affiliate had a Top Golf night. And we had about 300 people at Top Golf and they had, you know, free dinner and drinks and everything and everyone's having a good time playing golf. And I'm walking from one side of Top Golf to the other. And I mean, I'm stopping at like every booth and talking to an old friend or someone that I know, and it was like a giant family reunion. And I'm just thinking, how many industries are there where it's a family like that? I mean, you're even giving hugs to your competitors, you're shaking hands with vendors who sell against you, and yet everybody realizes that 
we're all on the same team. We are all trying to help people get fireplaces installed in their house. And I was just, I was really humbled and just thankful for what a cool industry we have. Now, because I was at the trade show last week, I was able to connect with some folks and have just these incredible conversations, and I can't wait to share one of those with you today. Now, today's interview is with Steven Schroeder, and Steven is the co-CEO of Napoleon Fireplaces. Very recently, Steven and his brother Chris were promoted to the co-CEOs as Steven and Chris's parents are stepping down from that role. And I mean, for anyone in this industry, you know that Napoleon is a giant fireplace manufacturer, but not only fireplaces, they do barbecues, they do HVAC, and they are doing some really cool things. Now, Steven's young. I mean, he's he's really young. He's, he's under 40. And he's all of a sudden got the reins of this huge company along with his brother. And so I was excited to sit down with Steven and talk about that. Also in the conversation is my buddy Grant Falco, who you guys heard last season. And if you remember from last season, Grant himself is a fourth generation family business owner. So me and Steven and Grant, we just sat down and we had a really cool conversation. Now, this is not a formal interview. It's just us sitting around kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. And as I went back and edited it, I'm thinking about, man, there is some serious wisdom here. And one thing I will tell you is that this interview was done live on the trade show floor where there's thousands of people walking around. So there's a little bit more background noise than normal, but I'm telling you, the content's worth it. So I can't wait for you guys to hear Grant and Stephen just talk about what young leadership means, the dynamics of family business, and in particular, Stephen talking about how Napoleon is going out of their way to make it easy. So we'll circle back at the end. Like I said, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation with Grant Falco and Stephen Schroeder. Joining me live from Dallas, Texas is the co-CEO of Napoleon, Stephen Schroeder, and also returning guest to the show, Grant Falco, fireplace man extraordinaire and fourth generation family business owner. What's up, guys? Uh, not a lot. Tim, how you doing? Doing great. How you doing, Stephen? Very good, man. How are you? Nice. I'm good. Well, Thanks hey, for having us, Tim. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked to be here in Dallas. Honestly, this show has been, it's been awesome. I mean, I feel like the HPBA Expo is something that... It's like a staple of our industry, and I'm excited, Grant, to be talking to you again, but to be speaking with you, Stephen, I mean, you're one of the companies that is taking the show really seriously, and you're being super intentional with the stuff you're showing here, and, and I think it's going to move the needle. Yeah, and we're doing uh, doing really well here, and I'm very excited to get a lot of energy out of the show here. Well, guys, like I said, I'm super excited for you to be here, and I think this conversation is going to be really fruitful for the people that are listening. So I want to jump into this, Stephen, since I haven't talked to you quite as much. I'd love to hear this because you've been in the industry for a long time, and I'd love to kind of hear your origin story. What's your journey been like with Napoleon? It's been very long. So I started basically when child labor was allowed. <laughs> yeah. In a family business, there's, uh, oh, yeah. as Grant probably knows, there's yep. no rules. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I started basically at the very bottom doing photocopies in the office and uh, scrubbing the floors. And then I started to learn how to weld and uh, put fireboxes together and then worked my way up. And every year I worked in the summers as I went to university. And just every year I just took on more and more responsibility. Little did I know that I'd end up at the top here, but uh, I think my parents had a, a plan all Yeah, they along. were grooming you from the beginning. Exactly. So how many years have you worked for Napoleon? How old were you when you started? Uh, I Well, I full-time it's been 15 years now. okay so uh 
and before that every summer since I was 14 years old. Wow, that's so awesome. And Grant, that's kind of like you, right? You were working at Falco's from like eight years old, weren't you? Absolutely. I was just, instead of making copies, I was pulling weeds in our nursery. (laughs) And I was getting 50 cents an an hour for it. I remember being extraordinarily excited about it. But there's something that, you know, as you grow up in a family business, you want to kind of understand all the things that go into that business. And I think that that was an excellent thing that your father did. And and we had a coffee shop. My dad's like, you're going through and you're learning how to make coffee because you need to know at least a little bit of what they go through for perspective in order to lead them. So I believe in that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've talked about it a little bit last season. My journey is so funny, and I, I'm so appreciative of talking to you two because of like the deep family connection where for me, I fell in by accident. So this is my 15th year in the industry, and I was an 18-year-old playing punk rock music up and down the West Coast, and all of a sudden my father-in-law calls me up one day, and he goes, I need help installing a wood insert. I was like, I don't know what a wood insert is. And I just showed up and started installing and like 15 years later, here I am. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a question for you, uh, how, how was your, what was your parents' approach in, you know, having you be in the business? My dad actually never put any pressure on me. He never really, he didn't want to apply that pressure. He wanted me to go and, and, and do what I needed to do. But I found my way back because I realized the value. And Yeah, my parents never, we never really talked about it, to be honest. It was always like I'd finish a year of school and I would, you know, finish, you come home. And then on Monday, I would just go, my dad would say, do you want to work in the company this summer? And I'd say, yeah. He's like, where do you want me to go? And he's, you're going to work in this department this year. So I would yeah. just go to work, no pressure. And to be honest, like people say, like, was this planned from the beginning? I don't think so. It was just a natural kind of... Totally. It just worked. And uh, luckily, I had my brother as well, which makes it a little easier on us because it's, uh, it's a lot of work, right? Absolutely. As you know, probably. Right? Absolutely. You know, Grant, I know I'll, you've talked last season about, you know, your family's 90 years into this, fourth generation. I would love to hear you guys talk about just the dynamics of family business. You know, it's something, like I said, for me, I worked for my father-in-law as an installer. It was only for three and a half years, and he wasn't my father-in-law at the time. So I've never worked in a business that where I've had blood family. Now, the people in my work are close, but I know that when you bring like blood-related family in, there's some awesome dynamics, but also some complicated dynamics. I'd love to hear you guys talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to take the good with the bad. You have to have some some parameters as a family. I mean, my mom had a rule. There was no discussion of anything work-related at the dinner table. And uh, and, and, and it was hard, but she, she enforced that. And, and we really actually naturally try to engage differently outside of work. But when we are work, we're dead serious and we're always talking about it. But I think those parameters were a big deal on us kind of figuring out. The other thing I would say is you have to be quick to say sorry. Um, sometimes you're passionate. You both want to win or you and your brother, I have a brother who's a year and a half younger than me and he ran the business for a while with me. And we would, we could get into some pretty big arguments. Now, we were all trying to go to the same place and Mm -hmm. the quicker we said sorry, the better we were all for it. So you're talking about establish healthy boundaries, number one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How has it been for you, Stephen? Well, for Grant, I can't imagine four generations. That's just crazy. But uh, I can tell you, going to the second is a lot of work. It's very hard. And um, like the, if I think back of what we went through, but yeah, you're right. I think the sooner you become to understanding the other person where they're coming from, the sooner it will get better is what I'll say. Because we went through some pretty, you know, it's not easy. It's a, And again, I think you're perfectly right on when you say you're both passionate about what you're working on. Yeah. 
you just go at it at different angles totally. and that's what causes conflict yeah. and it's family so it makes it even more difficult because you know how to push each other's buttons the most so you'll walk away and 10 minutes later you'll compl- feel completely different about that scenario and be like why did I act like that now I'm passionate that's why I'm emotional yeah. I care but so does he or so do they you know mm-hmm. and so uh, that's where the quick to say sorry thing comes in so that you can just quickly move on and uh, go from there. Well, so obviously, you know, there can be some negative dynamics in family business sometimes and some difficulties. But the truth is, like, we were just hanging out the other night, Grant, at Top Golf, and I'm watching you and the dynamic with your team members. And, man, there is something so rad to family business when it's done well. Like, what, I mean, yeah, so you've got difficulties, you've got complications. What are the amazing things about running a family business? The amazing thing is you can depend on your family 1,000% because they're always got your back. Don't have, like I look at other companies and I'm like you know they people come and go like sometimes very frequently and I'm I wouldn't like to live in an environment like that and I know even our customers they know when they talk to me or my brother or my dad they know when we say something it's the truth right and we're gonna do what we say so it, it's I think that bodes well for the company and, and, and when really you're a family family. business it's easy to promote family in your business and so um, our business has multiple other families so we have three Spurbacks, two Dakars, uh, multiple Clarks you know we only employ 28 people but nine of them are three other families there's more of them than there are actually of Falcos but it really comes down to empowering the people and putting them in positions to win and you guys seem to be leading and your reps seem to be extraordinarily passionate about your product and loyal. And it has to it has to start with the family part of, of the business. I'm so glad you went there, Grant. I mean, I'm convinced that that's the key to leadership. You know, for me, I manage six retail stores. I have a lot of direct reports and I'm responsible for a lot. But at the end of the day, the only thing, the only value that I bring to my team is the roadblocks I can remove for them and the ways that I serve them. Because if I can serve them and I can show them how to win, they're going to sell more product. And if I'm tight-fisted and I'm a jerk, how are they going to treat our customers? And yeah, I think you're totally right that as we set people up to win, they're just the best thing for everybody. And I think you're right that family business can can definitely help start that dynamic. We definitely aren't able to pay the best wages. And I mean, we, we can pay good wages, but there's better wages out there. And so we really believe that People want to be a part of a winning mentality, and they want to be taken care of. And so with the family dynamic, especially if you can, can get it to success, it really is easy to cultivate a following of some sort. And that's why Anna and Shelly and Dwayne and Jill, are they'll fight the fight. They'll work six days a week. They'll be there till 11 o'clock, and we don't ask them to. We've even given raises to one of our workers, and she didn't feel comfortable giving herself a raise, and she was in charge of that part. And you can't ask for that. Now, she got double raised because we found out in hindsight, but you want people that care that much about your business, and it's, it's hard to cultivate. Yeah. It's going to be cool, though, Grant, for you to see the Falco name is on the building. Your mm-hmm. name is there. Yeah. You know, with you guys and Napoleon, you know, your dad started this company from nothing. Like, it's a legacy. It's got to feel super empowering to know that, like, you're taking the reins of a legacy that's going to continue to win. It's a lot of weight on my shoulders. That's and, right. Uh, me and my brother have big shoes to fill, so we're uh, we're trying our best. Yeah, both excited and cautious. Yeah, it's a burden and a blessing. The burden is that you don't want to fail your family. Yeah, you want to do everything you can, but that's also the blessing and the drive that mm-hmm. gets you to earn the respect of them. And that's they put you in that position, and mm-hmm. because they believe in you. Yeah, I, I you know I look at it. I try to make it everything better, even if we just made the best barbecue in the world of the best fireplace 
currently, I'm, I'm already looking at tomorrow to say, how can that be better? Because yeah. the world's moving fast and yeah. faster and faster. So we got to stay on top of things. And that's how our company culture is. We just always have to be better. And I think, you know, one thing I'd give advice to anybody, just if you have a mentality in your organization or your company or your store, you want to make sure you're always driving for better, looking at what's the next best thing. Mm-hmm. What is the future? What's, what's out yeah. there? I love that. Yep. And that's the leader's job. You know, they say the difference between a leader and a manager is that the leader is above the forest looking at what mountain are we headed to next. The manager is down at the ground level saying, okay, what, how are we going to get there? But those are two totally different muscles to flex. They really are. And, and with your age, it, it really is. I mean, there's a transition going on in our industry. And I think that you guys are ahead of the curve in thinking that way. And I think I can slowly see our industry changing. But again, our industry has become complacent. We don't, if it's not broke, why fix it? And I think I see a lot of innovation in the last few years. And I think Napoleon's probably driving a lot of that. Grant, I'm so glad you went there because this is actually piggybacking on what Stephen just said, that things are moving fast. I mean, honestly, there's been more change in the last 10 years in business than the 40 years before that. And, and so for us to think that we can continue to do business the same way we have for the last 40 years is insane. Yep. Because, you know, it's like that book title. It's not the big that eat the small. It's the fast that eat the slow. That is the truth. That speed and convenience are the new expertise. And if we are not working hard to make people's lives easier in the buying process and in the sales process, we will lose. And I want to go there next. So, Stephen, we've talked a little bit over email about that we got to simplify, we got to make it easier. We've just touched on that. Why is that so critical now? Well, I think we talked about it earlier before we started, but when people come into a store, they kind of talk about, are you looking for an insert or a, you know, a DV fireplace? Like we use lingo that means nothing to a consumer. Like, and, and you know, I, I'm still new. I feel new to the industry and I'm young and I'm like, I, I kind of look at through things through the consumer lens and it's, very odd that we say words like this and we actually frighten people probably the second they walk in the door and that's why you know we did some research and we kind of looked at it and even in our booth here when you walk around the show we have four giant pillars of mini buildings that represent the four different styles of design which is contemporary modern traditional and rustic eclectic and that should be the question when a consumer walks into the showroom you should ask them what style are you looking for are you looking for something really out there or are you looking for something really traditional what do you you know that should be the first question and then follow them like Go from their perspective, not from your perspective. I mean, I'm convinced that we've lost our way in seeing things from the customer's point of view. And you're absolutely right. That when, when people walk in, you know, they don't have a clue. And so when a salesperson comes up and, and asks them about, well, do you need an insert today or do we need to get you a built-in? The customer doesn't know. My office is above our showroom. And so I listen to our sales staff every mm-hmm. once in a while. And I'll hear questions like, uh, I need a fireplace that vents right out the back. Oh, okay. So when you when you thought about that, when you thought about needing this fireplace, you thought about needing a fireplace that vents right out the back? No. That's not, and I don't say that to the consumer, but I, I say, well, what brought you in here? What are, what are you trying to get? What, what room are you doing this in? What are you trying to get out of it? And a lot of times style comes up in that because that's a huge choice, but managing the expectations of your customer and figuring out why they're in there, what the problem is, and the solution that you have in that appliance. Is it convenient? Is it pilot on demand? Is it simple and keeping it standing pilot? And they want the, when the power goes out, they need that. Really understanding the customer, and you guys are starting that with your four pillars and making us think about it a little bit differently. 
Well, it's so good, and it makes me think about, I say this all the time whenever I speak, but I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but it, it's what Lee LeFevre calls the curse of knowledge. Every single one of us fights it. And what the curse of knowledge is, is basically that on a scale of 1 to 10 of knowledge, right, most of us are operating at like a 9 or a 10 as a hearth expert. And that's a good thing, because we're putting a fire in someone's house on purpose. We probably need to be an expert on that. But when we make it simple, quote-unquote, we can really, most of the time, just bring it down to a six or a seven. The problem is that customers are buying at a one or a two. So it's the companies that can speak at a one or a two that are going to win. So the four design pillars is killer because that's a one or a two. You mm-hmm. can look at a customer and say, hey, what style of home do you like? Is it going to be more rustic? Is it on the traditional side? Then you can start to get into the design of it, and then the fireplace starts to just come out second nature. And, and we always talk about this, that we, generally speaking, our industry doesn't address the problems that customers have, we're really quick just to vomit solutions. But solutions without a problem tied to them mean nothing. They're white noise. So starting to get into the design aspect and uncovering the problems that the customer has, if you can go slow on the front end and take a lot of time doing that, the sale takes care of itself. I mean, the simplicity makes it fast, and that's what the consumer wants, convenience and fast. And if you keep it simple, the customer can get through it, the retailer can sell the product and manage that customer's expectation and get the customer ultimately what they want. If I go back in time at Napoleon, maybe seven, eight years ago, I've been at the company long enough that I realized coming out with one product at a time is not working because the problem is, and then when you come out with a product and you have this, you know, a certain brick set in this, and then the next one comes out with the size larger, let's say, and then you put different bricks in it, and then you have all these funky skews all over the place. So then about, I think seven years ago, I said, stop, enough of this. We're going to come out with series product only. Everything's going to be in a series. Everything's going to fit in every size of the series, whether it's size, BTU, it's all going to have the same media, and that's what exactly what we've done, and that's probably our linear success has been, oh. you can pick any which way they can, if a consumer walks in, sees a product, they can be like, I like that, but maybe it's the wrong price point for them, or maybe they want to have like a touch glass, they can upgrade or downgrade, change the size, and they can have that exact media, exactly the features they want in the product. That is brilliant. And I mean, I've been saying this to reps for years. There's nothing worse than when a company is making a bunch of unicorns. I don't want a bunch of unicorns. I need standardization because, again, you know, there's different houses or different sizes. And there's nothing worse than you get 40 minutes into a sales presentation with someone just to uncover something and it derails everything. You know, it's so much better. Again, you're going slow on the front end. You're building this product together. And now that you've built the product, like, let's go find your size. Let's go find your price point. No, I couldn't agree more with that either. I mean, uh, your brother earlier said our goal is to get everybody to say yes to all the questions and that's such a great way to put it so when you release it in series and you keep it simple and everything interchangeable you allow that dealer to sell your product successfully and there's those pain points through a sales process and it's every time you say no and you're removing that from the equation making it simple we try to make it as easy as possible but yeah yeah Actually, if you look even at our price book, our marketing team has done a really good job on our price book. It's simple. You can give ah, this to any Joe off yep. the street, and they would be able to pick the fireplace they want. It's all like a grid pattern with the features and the sizing. It's so simple. And again, it all hinges on that whole series of products. If you didn't have the series, it wouldn't work. But now mm-hmm. I can put one. I can put like 15 products on one page, opposed mm-hmm. to having you know, 15 pages. Yeah. So the simplicity is there. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Absolutely. Well, I want to take a little bit of a detour because this is this is kind of along the lines of that that thought we've been talking about, about how do we make it easy for a consumer? How do we get into their mind? What I want to do is I want to talk about 
the best marketing piece I have ever seen in our industry. And I'm not joking when I say this. Like, I guess I should say it's the best advertisement I've ever seen. And it's a Napoleon ad that came out a couple years ago. And it had to do with a baby taking their first steps in front of the fireplace. Whenever I speak about marketing to groups, I put this up on the board. And we talk about this. We dissect it because it is freaking brilliant. It's really, really good. Would you describe this for us, Stephen? And I, I want to kind of get into the ins and outs of what you guys did with your mentality, why everyone needs to take that same approach. Well, it starts off, we did like a hotspot study, and we really wanted to learn about why, why and how consumers buy fireplaces, okay? And kind of figure out which rooms were important to them. The ad kind of shows, it's a, it's a fold ad, so when, the, when it's folded closed, when you first see it, you see like this sterile room. Sterile room it's like kind of messy, right? There's yeah. like some stuff on the floor. It's even yeah. a little dark in some it's parts. It's dark. Of it. And then the second you open the fold up, it reveals the fireplace, which is burning. And then you have uh, a mother and a father and a child taking his first steps. And you have the glow from the fireplaces around it. And it really like it's a night and day difference between the two, even though it's the exact same room. It just shows how much you know, how much value and emotion that just a fireplace can add to a room. And what I love with it too, this is a concept that, uh, it actually comes from a company called StoryBrand out of Nashville, but they always talk about how you are not the hero of the story, the customer's the hero. And what you guys did so brilliantly in that ad is that the fireplace is in the corner, like front and center is the family. And the family's not cheesy, looking at the camera, smiling, you know, that stuff sucks in ads. But the family's like engaged in their real day-to-day life and the fire is contributing to their family's success. And the whole philosophy behind it is so brilliant because we need to think about how our products help make people's lives better and we need to showcase their lives being better, not our product. Well, and to add to that, it uncovers what they don't realize. Mm -hmm. So they might think, oh yeah, I like fireplaces, but when you see that, you love that scenario and it sparks this emotion that you didn't realize you had so you're uncovering and what our industry has done so poorly is we market the fireplace we market the fireplace but what's the value of the fireplace what's it do for me exactly and that is it that was the first time i'd seen it that i remember uh and it was impactful and emotional for me someone in the industry and born in it and seen it it was extraordinarily well done. I mean, the, the, the toy tilted to the side of the dark kitchen in the back. It just is like, what is that? And then all of a sudden it changes to a lively, warm room. Well, and the tagline was brilliant too because we are rotten with our taglines. Our taglines are all about four new sizes ranging from 35,000 BTUs to 50,000 BTUs an hour. And, but, and we put this in consumer-facing magazines. Like, it's insane. This is brilliant. I don't remember the exact tagline, but it's something to the effect of, your family room is where memories are made. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I want that life. Yep. I want to be those people. I want to be in that life. I want this family room. And that's the mentality that we have to take with our whole marketing and sales approach. It's brilliant. So nice job there. Our products are like uh, rocket fuel of emotion, right? So you really got to play on that. Like, I always say, like, how are you going to... Like, I have friends that are building homes, and they're like... Oh, I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna put a fireplace in the living room. And I'm like, how are you gonna have Christmas without a fireplace? Like, and they're like, oh yeah, okay, I gotta put a fireplace there. True. We have True. a we have a couple fireplaces in our house, and actually, truthfully, we have a we have a Napoleon HD4 see through, and it's it's a sweet fireplace. It's it's in between our office and our great room. We put it in a few years back, and people come over and they see the stone on the wall and the mantle and the fireplace, and they rave about it. Like they love sitting in that room. They love playing board games. And it becomes the focal point that everybody's talking about. We've had friends that are like, we got to do this in our house. They weren't coming to our house looking for that, but they were compelled by it as soon as they saw it. Absolutely. Well, that's great. 
where I want to head next, Stephen, is you sent me an email the other day with a great link to a video, and it was it was kind of about the idea of essentialism that we need to focus on doing less things better and not more things worse. And it was just this it was this awesome lecture, and and I think that I, I found personally in in my own business, you know, running multiple stores, all these direct reports, all these goals and achievements, you know, so often we try to do everything all at the same time and we don't operate with focus. And I'm just convinced that without focus, we lose, you know, it's the difference between a flashlight and a laser beam. And so many companies in our industry are trying to cut through something with a flashlight because they're trying to do everything. They're not making any impact. They're spinning their wheels. They're, they're busy, but they're not doing the worthwhile things. And that video that you sent me was incredible because it was just such a simple breakdown of why focusing on the few important things are what's going to move the needle in your business. What's that look like for you? You know, when I, I say that video, it's a fantastic video. Like, if you, and I think the guy uses the word, the seduction of more. And I think for anybody in their business, and I, and I see this with retailers, I see it with manufacturers, I'll tell you, we're very guilty of this. We try to come up with lots of more products. We had patio furniture a few years ago, and it's, it's easy to say, yeah, we'll try more, but if you don't give it focus, it's not going to have the oomph behind it. You're not going to be successful. And we've done this many times with products and I've seen it at retailers. I tell a lot of retailers that, you know, you get people that have tried barbecues, you know, some people may have a good heart shop that's tried barbecues and they have like one or two units on the floor. And I'm like, you're dabbling. Like if you really want to do it, go in with two feet. You can't just put your toes in the water. You're either in or you're out. There's nothing in between. And if you go all in and you're you're passionate behind the product, you will be successful. You will win. But if you're in the middle there or anything less, you're going to lose. Absolutely. My mind goes to uh, a wig, a wildly important goal, the four disciplines of execution, and just just uh, simplifying what you do. When I took over the business six years ago, our retail store, we sold tanning beds. We sold uh, every barbecue you could choose. We sold spas. We sold chemicals. We did all this stuff. And there was really no rhyme or reason. It was just... We needed, to, we needed to fill our showroom up. We built a new showroom. We have done nothing but condense down to what we do right. And, and we have went full bore into barbecues, full bore into fireplaces, and full bore into ductless. And we are the trusted resource because of that. If we spread ourselves out with tanning beds and spas and things that actually we have to still learn, it's taking away from all these things that are going to bring us a revenue. And less is more a lot of the time. It's for sure it is. I got a question for you, Grant. I'm going to give you a radical idea. Okay. What if you only carried one brand in your store for all three, like, you know, all, your barbecues, your fireplaces? Yeah. How would that change? So so my dad has, uh, has always kind of uh, been really all about never getting into bed with only one person. And so uh, we have always spread that out, and we've never been the best with any brand but we're we're great with a lot of them and I think my biggest fear would be it's my business and so if I sold one brand I would think that my leverage was lost a little bit that's what I would think as a retailer I'm not saying that's what I would think if I thought about it and I went there but that's what I was kind of taught was I gotta kind of have a few different brands but at the same time we used to have 13 and 14 brands and now we really have three primary brands and yeah, it might, might go down from there. Who knows? If I put my consumer hat on, when I go into a store, it doesn't matter what I'm buying. And then I spend, you know, 10, 5, 10 minutes talking about product X. And they explain the features. They ex- maybe, I, maybe it's a product that's a, it's an odd category. 
like a furnace. You know, mm-hmm. they're explaining, let's say, a York furnace to mm-hmm. me. And now you got me hooked. Okay, I know the story of York. I understand everything about this company. And then all of a sudden, we have to switch gears. And all of a sudden, they have to say, well, maybe that's not the right application. Totally. So you switch it to a carrier, totally. for example. And then the consumer starts to lose. You start to lose them at that point. You lose momentum. Yeah. And then I if think you go through multiple brands in a store, it can, it can really fall off the So rails. the brand doesn't ever really get mentioned in our store. Okay. Because everything is cherry-picked. So when I sell, sell a brand, I sell what I want. And I make the own prices for what I want. It's intentional. So like, take my gas inserts my story of my gas inserts is above i got simple and reliable standing pilot millivolt systems that are easy to operate that are not adapted to the technology yet but my my uh conservative community loves that product so enviro simple reliable standing pilot yes they have ipi but not in your store and i don't sell it uh, now I have cozy heat sitting below. I don't call it IPI. I don't call it electronic ignition. I call it pilot on demand. And so then that's the one with all the bells and whistles. Maybe not a, a focal point of heat as much, but more of comfort and the smart mode and the control. And then I go to the EX series by Enviro, which is a combination of them both. Heat exchanger and the pilot on demand system, comfort with high end heat, but a, a, a back burner turned down. And so it's about the story. So that's why I cherry pick and only sell what I can, what fits in our showroom, what's going to be successful for us. Well, and I think too, I I think you can really do it either way. So I've been a part of showrooms that only carry one brand. And then where I work now, we, I mean, we're, we're big players with a couple of the major manufacturers, but we carry a few different brands. I think it comes down to how your business is going to play it. Because Stephen, to your point, I think that there's absolute credibility in keeping the customer's momentum going if you're using the manufacturer's story. If your manufacturer's got an unbelievable story that they can invite a customer into, then there that can definitely have some legs. There's not many companies that can effectively do that because a lot of companies again just sell BTUs and clearances. But the effective ones that can get a customer locked into a story, it's really really powerful. I think that to your point, Grant, what is awesome too is. If we take a step back and think about it, we sell a, a niche product. I mean, how often do people buy a fireplace? Like every 20 years, maybe. I've heard, I've heard people say it's like buying a wedding dress. You do it once in your life, maybe twice. And you don't want to make a mistake. And so because of that, I think that our brands, and I say this respectfully, even you know whether it's Napoleon, Heat & Glow, Cozy Heat, my company, your company, our brands mean nothing to customers because their category is so unfamiliar. And so what I think the key is, it's a question of how you're going to think about your your business's approach to consumers. And the beauty with you guys, Stephen, I mean, having a manufacturer that you can give a dealer everything. I mean, a dealer can be 100% Napoleon and have radical success. I think that you guys have the opportunity to build a framework for your dealers that they can execute to invite customers That's- into this story and you can build that for them. I think a manufacturer has to think exactly how you're thinking. That question is an interesting question and it's very it's an amazing question because ultimately that should be your goal, right? As a manufacturer. And I can see Napoleon working towards that. And I, I think that's where I see the value. This is the first time into the Napoleon booth. And I'm I mean, I would say it's it's fair to say I'm pretty blown away at the simplicity and the innovation that I see, and and also doing it the right way. Well, I want to I want to pivot just a little bit, and Grant, I got a question for you. So, all of us we're, we're fairly young, you know, getting older, but we're all under the age of forty in an industry that that in some ways is starting to age a little bit. So, Grant, what have you found to be true, just in general, as a young leader in this industry? Uh, you have to. Well, we fight fight certain things. So for me, it was always I was always the owner's son, and so um, 
the reputation of an owner's son was maybe not the best. And so I fought that. I uh, tried to remain as humble as possible. I didn't talk a lot. I realized when I would ask questions that they'd already done that and that I didn't know enough to even you know, have that. And so I just kind of laid back, supported the team, worked hard, earned respect. But I think it really comes down to how gracious are you of your team? How, how, how do you share that gratitude? How do you get them in positions to win? And so I think I earned their respect by sitting back and learning the position and the business. But at the same time, as soon as I was ready, I went full bore ahead and asked them to follow me by putting them in positions to win. And they respected you because know? they'd seen you for years working alongside them. Absolutely. My father is the best salesperson I've ever, I've ever met. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I believe that when I go down on sales floor that I'm the best salesperson that customer has ever met. But is it better for my business to have four that are close enough to me down there versus me? 100%. And so you have to put these people, and sometimes they don't even know, you have to put them in positions to win. And so I've really seen that uh, change our business and change the following and the winning culture in our business. Yeah, in our company, or I, I, I always say I interchange the words company and family because our company is a family, very much like what you've done. But... uh, yeah, like I treat it like a family, so I don't like I like we talked about earlier yelling at people. Like I, it's not my, not our culture. We just basically treat everybody the same. Doesn't matter what you do in the company. Yeah, and uh, you know back everybody and support everybody and yep. Yeah, like like you, it's it, it's a hard transition. People don't change jobs because of money, and that's always the reason. You know, I had, I had a, a few installers quit recently, and uh, or right before the fall of this last year, and it's nothing. As any manager, anytime someone leaves, you have to ask yourself why. And uh, I, I quickly realized that they were complaining about all sorts of things that, that to them money was going to solve. And so I had a choice at that time to match what they were being offered because we have a labor shortage in our area. But when I was thinking about it, all the reasons the money wasn't going to solve it. I was going to have all those same problems. They were going to have all those same things. I want people to that want to win and, 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 and support other people. Absolutely. And I think it's been so true as a, as a young leader in the industry. I found that you know humility is, is so critical. Grant, totally. you talked about that. You know, you got to be humble. I think that there is a fire that this young generation is bringing to our industry, you know, no pun intended, but like there's a, there's a fire and mm-hmm. the, like, I mean, we've been talking grant, like dude, there's stuff that we want to do that we, that we think we can really help this industry take things to the next level. And, and I mean, so many young people feel that like we want to make a difference. We want to do this stuff. But at the same time as that, like what I got to realize too, is I'm really headstrong and I got, you know, strong opinions and I want to do everything yesterday. And like, why can't you go as fast as me? And I think that what I have been learning and realizing is that the journey is always slower than you think it's going to be. And that, you know, the, the people that want ahead of you, they may not have it all figured out, but dang, they know some things. You know, there are some older folks in our industry that have some knowledge. And I think that you got to have a humble mentality that says, like, you're willing to learn, you're willing to sit underneath the teaching and the wisdom of someone that's been there before, but then bring that fire, bring that energy that comes with it and take what you know, worked 30 years ago, tweak it, apply it, and go scale it with this new economy. Yeah, it actually gets me excited now thinking about, I've been coming to the trade show for 16 years now, and it's a, I mean, let's be honest, it's a good old boys club to a certain extent. And you haven't seen a lot of, uh, 
younger people coming up into the business. And I will say the last few years, I feel like I've seen a lot younger people, but being very respectful to the former generation and paying homage and due diligence, but that, that generation also being able to change with the younger generation. And what I see is a, a lot of excitement, a yeah. lot of passion. I feel like our industry is on a precipice of some great stuff. And, and honestly, Stephen, your approach is, is, is what we need more approaches to be like. We need to promote fireplaces. I, I agree with you 100%. So my dad told me a long time ago, we're not fighting fireplace companies. Like, you know, we're not selling against other fireplace companies. We're fighting hot tubs. We're fighting TVs. We're fighting the new bar reno they're going to put in the basement. We're fighting for those spaces. You have a very limited amount of income that these, that these consumers have, and we need a piece of that. So yep. why not? Our yep. products, we, you know, our products, we know add value to people, yep. right? So we, it's about getting that message across. And what is that value? And, and, and reminding them, like with a, a marketing piece like we talked about earlier. I mean, I can't even speak to that at the emotion that it brought out of me, someone who's even in it. But it, it also makes you realize how important that fireplace is when you don't think about it that often. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have it in the apartment you're renting before you're purchasing the house or whatever, you forget about it. And it's up to us as an industry to continue to remind them how valuable that fireplace is. Yeah. Well, man, guys, this has been an awesome conversation. And uh, Stephen, you know, we're so thankful to have you here on the show. I want to close out by asking you one question. You know, it seems like it's more important than ever to be prepared. You know, we've talked about all these things that are going on. And maybe you want to reference one of those, but you know, for you as a manufacturer, if you're if you're speaking to other manufacturers, if you're speaking to dealers and distributors, what's the what's the big thing that we need to be thinking about if we want to win in the days to come? Yeah, I think I think you're right. The simplicity is is big. I, I, I'm kind of overlooking it, but I guess it is a big thing, and that's what we're working towards. And I think a lot of people should, whether it be dealers or whether it be manufacturers, work on that simplicity. Get people to say consumers, get them to get to yes easier. Uh, lower the the friction in the sales process. Totally. We want it to be simple. You come to me and you tell me you're making my life easier as a manufacturer and I'm there. Well, I think one of the big things, this is a misnomer that I think people hear a lot because whenever I talk, I mean, the whole podcast is about how we need to make it easy, right? The tagline of the podcast is we need to make it so stupidly easy to buy from us that there's no excuse not to. That's our mission, you know, number one. But if you're a sales leader listening to this, just because you're making it easy for the customer doesn't mean it's gonna be easy for you that there's you know what we're talking about here these are simple concepts but as a leader they are extremely difficult to execute and that's why you get paid big dollars as a leader because this is the serious work that it takes and if you're as a leader not willing to get dirty and grimy to take six months and keep your head to the ground figuring out this sales process or this marketing process you know, you're going to do the same thing over and over and over, and one day the market's going to be gone. And so I, I don't want people to think that it's that just because we're making it easy for customers means it's going to be easy for us as leaders. Is that fair? You're going to be fighting a culture. So, like, the, it's ingrained in this industry, and it's a tough one to break. And whether it's in one company or – but it's a whole industry we're talking about here. It's going to be a – but I, I think we can do it. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I think if we, and especially if all the, if everybody kind of thinks the same way and, and you get some of these people that are pushing, you know, pushing the boundaries and moving yeah. forward, I think we can get there. I'm with you guys 100%. Well, Grant and Steven, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate you being here. And I think that folks are getting a, a lot of value out of this. I really appreciate it, Tim. Really appreciate it. Steven. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah. It was nice yeah. meeting you, Grant. Yeah, you guys. We'll see you later. Wow. I hope you guys got as much value out of that conversation as I did. Man, I'm telling you, I mean, I am so lucky that I get to have these conversations with folks like Grant and Steven. It was just amazing to be able to bounce ideas off of them and just listen to the amazing things that they're both doing. It's funny, you know, 
so many people in this audience are involved in family businesses. I get emails about it and questions about it all the time. But what I want you guys to hear is that the dynamics of family business, (laughs) they exist on the levels of even the biggest companies in our industry. And so it's so cool to hear Grant and Steven share stories about that and really it's so many of the same things. So don't feel like you're alone. Don't feel like your problems are unique to you because there's so many people that are dealing with that. But I'm telling you, there is a beautiful opportunity that family business brings in both Napoleon and Falco's. They are reaping in the benefits from it. Now, I'll tell you too, I loved listening to Steven's humility. You know, if you listen to him, I mean, this guy's running a huge company alongside of his brother, but listen to his humility when he talks. You know, he's someone that is going back to the basics, taking things one step at a time. And I'm telling you, he has got some serious wisdom. When you think about how smart he is to come up with the ideas that he has had about simplicity and ease of use, but he was thinking about these things seven, eight years ago. He put them into play, and now Napoleon is starting to reap the benefits of it. So it was an absolute pleasure to talk with those guys. I'm telling you, pay attention to Grant and Steven because, man, good things are going to be happening to them. Now, I want to pass on one resource to you just to close out. I actually gave this away during my presentation at the HPB Expo. But if you've been listening to the conversation with me and Grant and Steven, you're hearing Steven talk about everything he's doing to make the customer experience as easy as possible. I want to throw out a resource. I wrote a second ebook, and it's actually called Three Things Your Business is Doing to Confuse Customers. And it's an ebook that goes through, you know, like the title says, three things that nearly every company in the hearth industry is doing that's actively confusing customers out of buying their products. And you can go to my website and download it. The link is itsfiretime.com slash confuse. That's itsfiretime.com slash confuse. I know that you're going to get some great ideas there and it even has a checklist to walk you through how to take these steps and implement them in your business. So that's all that I have for today. Like I said, I can't believe that we're here in season two. Like always, please email any questions that you have to me. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. Well, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening. I'm so thankful for what we are building here. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.